The reading this morning is from page three of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> oh, I forgot to hook myself up just a minute. I've got to hook myself up. This is a high tech church, I'll tell you. Winnie the Pooh, page three. Here is Edward Bear coming downstairs now. Bump, bump, bump on the back of his head behind Christopher Robin. It is, as far as he knows, the only way of coming downstairs. But sometimes he feels that there really is another way if only he could stop bumping for a moment and think of it. We use checklists for various things. You may have a, those of you who go camping may have a checklist. Do you have this, this, and this before you actually go out into Mother Nature? Um, we have uh, checklists, uh, as you know, that are broadcast when uh, we shoot something up around uh, the moon or something like that. Uh, and... Uh, Pilots, of course, have them for airplanes. Uh, one of the people who comes to this church is a commercial pilot and uh, told me that these were the uh, typical checks just before you uh, take off. Uh, said you check the controls. Oh, I see, cigar tip. So cigar tip is the uh, acronym. Is that the term? All right, remember the checklist. C, controls. You check the controls. I, check the instruments. G, you check the uh, you check if the gas valves are set, if the mixture is right. A, you check the altimeter. Uh, you run up the engine. R, uh, you make sure the flaps are set, trim set, and so forth. Check the interior, make sure the doors are locked, and so forth. And the last one, P, is the prop set. So we're going to uh, talk this morning about uh, a checklist for uh, spiritual flight. We're going to get a little bit more basic than this, but this is still a checklist. This is a, uh, that was an eight-point, this is a ten-point checklist. Um... If you have a flat on your way to heaven, something like that, <laughs> when things aren't going right, why aren't you flying? That's the question. And so here's a checklist, things you can check to find out why you aren't soaring. Why isn't it easy? Why is it rough? Why are you depressed? Why are you stuck? So here's the checklist. It thing, includes things like, do you have a plane? <laughs> this is <laughs> this is real basic do you see are you there <laughs> what about the runway can you see one so forth so we'll just go down this now um, the first thing you need is yourself 
And it's amazing how many people don't have themselves on whatever journey they're on, whatever trip they're on. It's amazing how many people focus on what's wrong with the world and they don't focus on themselves. This is sometimes referred to as being issue-oriented. If you are issue-oriented, you are not people-oriented. And if you are people-oriented, you are not self-oriented. There's an amazing thing that happens when you look to your actual self, when you look into your heart and see the store of gentleness that someone has placed there, the tenderness that you didn't even know was there. The amazing thing is there is no selfishness in it, and you see it includes every living thing. It is just the opposite of ego-selfishness, which is not directed towards the self so often but is directed towards issues and what the other guy is doing wrong. And so the first check on your checklist should be which self are you taking on this trip? The Course of the Miracles says that the ego thinks it can go along on your journey, and it can't. This attempt of the ego to go along on our journey home, I've referred to here as the higher ego because it uses spiritual terminology, but it's still pure ego. When you have no ego involvement, then you will have arrived. And so the process is shedding the ego involvement and taking the right self most people have to begin with a simple faith that such a self exists, that they are basically good even if they don't think they are, that they are basically honest and kind, and that somewhere within their mind there echoes the ancient memory of God, even though they can't quite get their fingertips on it at the moment. So, Perhaps you just begin by saying the words. But make sure that you understand that all words that you say in your mind are like an arrow. They point at something. There is always a direction to thought, and it points either to the identity you have established in the world, or it uh, points to the self that you have in common with all your brothers and sisters. There are only two selves, and there's only one self you can take home. The other self will be left behind, but it will disappear before there will be any sense of it having been left. So you need yourself. That's the first check. Do I have the right self? Am I taking the right me? What me do I want to move forward? What me do I want to soar? What me do I want to progress? What part of me do I want to progress? Is it the wrong part of me I want to enhance, to build, to strengthen, to take further? Then the journey will be rough, and you will not soar, and the ending will be unhappy over and over again until you simply take the right part of you. Your focus is on the right part of you, 
the kind part of you, the gentle part of you, the forgiving part of you, the happy part of you. I told you that uh, that I, the uh, person at IRS who was handling our tax number, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in just a minute, did not understand how we could mix humor with religion. <laughs> God is happiness. That's the right part of you. Will it make me happy is exactly the same question as, is it holy? And this is so generally misunderstood. So many people who write and speak on religion think that they must do so in anger. And there is no anger in your father. And that's why the journey is so easy for you to make. There is nothing about your father that you do not want a part of you. Nothing. Second check is, do you have a plane? Now, so you've got to get there in something. You have to get there in something. Most people think they've got to get there in a body. But the proper vehicle, the only plane that will get you there, is the mind. You only have to deal with your mind. Now, the body is a part of it in the sense that the body must be at peace and you must be kind to your body. You must be compassionate to your body so that your mind will not be distressed. You, in fact, must be kind to every person you meet so that your mind will not be distressed. You, in fact, must be kind to everything in this crazy, crazy world so that your mind will not be distressed. But it is your mind where the results will show up. That is the screen that you watch. There is where you want the effect. You do not want the effect in the world. And this is perhaps the greatest and most attractive side road that takes you away from your journey home. To think that you want the effect in the world. So-and-so has to change. The job has to change. The place I live has to change. It's fine for it to change. If you can see that your purpose is peace, then perhaps you will change it. But only to the point of the peace. For the peace will you do it. There is a, a man I talked to recently who had uh, done an interesting exercise. He had made two lists. The body, as you know, is the outpicturing of the ego. It is the ego scene. So the body represents the lower mind. If you are relating only to someone's body, if you're seeing them only as a body, and you don't have a feeling for what's in their heart, if you don't have at least a slight intuition that they yearn for the same things that you yearn for, a feeling of closeness, to be loved, to be good, to have a positive effect, if you don't sense that, if you sense them only as a body and a personality, then you are not seeing them at all because the body represents only the lower mind, only the ego. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be kind to other people's bodies, for indeed you should. 
because almost everyone thinks of themselves as a body. And so when you are kind to their body, they feel loved. Their mind feels loved because you are kind to their body. This man had uh, seen that his ego personality was making it difficult for him in the world. He was having a difficult time relating to people in public. He was having a difficult time uh, getting along uh, with people that he was living with and a number of different things like that. And so he made a list of the qualities that were in this personality that was seeming to cause difficulty, made an inventory of every quality that he thought was getting him in trouble in the world. And then he made another list of the qualities that he thought would get him along in the world, ego qualities, personality types. And so here he has one personality type because of his... uh, Uh, history and what he went through as a child and so forth. And then he writes up another, an ideal personality type. How would this ideal person relate to to, uh, strangers? How would this ideal person get along with with his children, with his uh, spouse, whatever it might have been, do you see? Business associates and that kind of thing. Here's the personality he has. Here's the personality he knows would get along. The perfect personality. The personality that would sail through these things. And then do you know what he did? He set about changing his ego personality. This has nothing to do with truth. And if you realize it has nothing to do with truth, you can do this quite easily. It's only if you think you are this personality the one that's causing you the problems, at least in some aspects of your life, that you are reluctant to change it. You think you are being dishonest if you change what you have made in the world, what you have made of yourself. The attitudes, the reactions, the habits, the personal habits, and everything else that goes into making your worldly identity. But if you realize that you are one with God, that you are the light of the world, that you are pure spirit, if you realize that, then what difference does it make if it would make life easier in some aspect of your life to change your ego personality, change it like that, quickly and easily? How do you do it? You just do it. And so instead of being someone who snaps, you're someone who is... uh, gentle or patient not necessarily in a spiritual sense but in an ego sense we all know egos that are easy to get along with don't we we know egos that get along well in business that get along well playing uh, sports that get along well in at parties that get along well with the people they're married to that get along well with their children. And we know ego types that don't. Neither is the truth. But if you see you have a choice, then it's perfectly all right. Provided you don't have a sense of battle and struggle, 
and provided you don't think you are actually changing yourself. But if you realize you're just changing this manifestation in the world, this thing that you've assumed because of certain experiences that you've had and these opinions that you hold as sacred and these old, tired attitudes towards this and that, and you realize, why do I need a certain attitude towards creamed peas or whatever the thing is? Or that they shouldn't do this kind of thing uh, at uh, during football games or whatever. The, it doesn't matter. Whatever your stand is, whatever your issue is, this is the way it ought to be, your ego says. About a thousand things. It ought to be this way. Why? It doesn't have to be any other way. So why, instead of trying to change the world, why don't you just change your ego so that your ego gets along? If you must go to parties, if you must work at this office, if you must have these particular friends, if you have to drive this particular car, if you have to take this particular route to work every day, what kind of ego type could go past uh, the construction work or the traffic conditions and so forth? Must you have the ego that gets upset by these things? Look around you. There are people driving who are not upset. <laughs> it is not necessary to be upset. It is not necessary to have constant quarrels with friends. And if you can change that without a sense of struggle, if you can do it effortlessly and easily, then why not? Then you will see you are a mind, and your mind can do anything you wish. And you will realize that you've got the proper plane, your mind. Third. Ah, which is second? I made a list here. Actually, I made this list a long, long time ago when I first started reading A Course in Miracles. I was coming from at least three very interesting, uh, at least they were interesting to me, standpoints when I picked up the course. So I think I told you uh, more than once that it was my mother who got a hold of the course. And mothers, of course, don't know anything. And uh, so I... Uh, you know, I wasn't about to look at this silly thing called A Course in Miracles. But she made me sit down one day and open the book, open the books. I've told you that story. Well, I started reading them, and I was inter interested in this from several standpoints. As a child, I was raised as a Christian scientist. As an adult and young adult, I'd been uh, an atheist. Uh, and... Uh, but I'd also dabbled in uh, Krishnamurti and a few of the other uh, Eastern-oriented uh, thinkers. And so I was comparing. This is the mistake, of course, that we make whenever we pick up any teaching of truth. We compare it with other teachings of truth. And that's just about the way to miss it completely. <laughs> uh, you must not do that, but it's inevitable. Uh, at a certain stage of learning, and that's the stage I was in. One of the things I was very interested in is what was the, how was the reader being identified? What was the teaching saying the reader was? 
And so as I went through it that first time, I made a list. This is not by any means an exhaustive list of what the Course says you are. But I pulled it out last night, and here it is. So what are you? Here's what the Course says you are. If you are not this worldly identity with this particular name, this particular name that you have, and this particular sex, and this particular age, if you are not that, what then are you? Here's the way the Course puts it. These are just things I copied down. You are love. Would you close your eyes while I read these? Just don't think about these. Just let these sort of settle, settle in your mind. And maybe one or two of them will stick and they'll be helpful later on. Because we actually get confused as to what we are. If there is any doubt that we are insane, this, of course, proves beyond a doubt that we are. That we would actually ask the question, what are we? So here's what the Course says you are. Love, God's home, God's meaning, a miracle, light, the will of God, the atonement, spirit, everything. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the light of the world, perfection, God's gift, communication. That's an interesting one, isn't it? What am I? Communication. What then do I wish to communicate? The way, the truth, and the light. Reality. God's voice. The knowledge of God. Limitless power. The majesty of God. A mind, creation, the means, M-E-A-N-S, the means for God. Isn't that nice? The means for God. God's holy sinlessness. Heaven. Child of God, child of light, child of peace, little child. Okay, what's the third thing? Your checklist, the basic checklist. Um, you need a runway. So you need yourself, you need a plane, you need a runway. Now that's why I read from Winnie the Pooh. So you remember Edward Bear, 
only knows one way to go down the stairs, and that's on the back of his head. Bump, bump, bump. And he says he's sure there must be another way if he could only just stop for a minute. He, he's quite sure he would think of it. But of course, he does not stop and think of it. <laughs> you see, you need a runway. You need limitless options. And another very deep, widespread misconception about a spiritual path is it narrows your options. It does not. It throws them open. Once you are firmly established on a spiritual path, you will see you can do anything you wish to, short of hurting someone or hurting yourself. Anything you wish to. You don't always have to treat your back pain in the same way. Or whatever the thing may be. Anything. And a little exercise that might be helpful, I've mentioned it before, is that when you have a problem, it is a problem and it is not going away because you are not allowing yourself limitless options. You have confined the options so that the problem can't be solved. If you will simply give yourself unlimited options, then the problem can be solved. It will not necessarily be solved in the terms that you set the problem. Because we set the problem and we set the solution at the same time, saying, here's the problem and this can be the only possible solution. But if you realize this world is a dream and that you are one with God, then what can you not do with a dream? You will not wake to God if you are cruel, and so you wish not ever to be cruel or unkind or uncaring. But short of that, there isn't anything you can't do. And so if you have a problem, one very valuable exercise is to simply sit and close your eyes and start thinking of absurd solutions to the problem absolutely crazy things that of course you wouldn't do and then began making them a little bit more reasonable this just sort of relaxes your mind sort of opens it up frees it up for you to do this does everybody understand that exercise you start with absurd things you're like for example i told you that uh gail and i had uh several things that have been given us to, by people uh and that they were we didn't want them. They were cluttering up the house, and yet we couldn't give them away because um, uh, we were afraid that the friends might find out we had done this. We couldn't sell them for the same reason. They were they had become very valuable since they had been given to us. So the thing, the option was, I cannot give up the money. Do you remember Jack Benny? Uh, the the, uh, the the mugger comes up to him and says, "Your money." Or your life. And there's this long pause. This long pause. <laughs> and the mugger said, Your money or your life? He said, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> All right. Now that's the thing. The money was the thing that was keeping. And as soon as we saw we didn't need them, and then Gail came up with the solution of let's just break the things into little pieces and take them to the dump. <laughs> had solved the problem, you see. It so happens that before we did that, we thought of another, a little bit more peaceful solution than that. 
But we had already decided we were going to do that because that would solve the problem and it wouldn't hurt anybody. It would only lose us a little money on paper. But it's only on paper. We couldn't sell the stuff. We couldn't give it away. We couldn't do anything with it. So in what sense was it valuable, you see? What else do you need? Your checklist. Number four. You need a co-pilot. All right. You remember the old uh, movie in the book, God is My Co-Pilot? Many of you, if you could lose your fear of being thought ridiculous, which comes from your, uh, your identity that you've established in the world, because of experiences you've had, you think the word Jesus is embarrassing. It shouldn't be used, and you have all kinds of arguments as to why it shouldn't be used. But one thing you may not have asked yourself is, what does it do to your heart when you say the word Jesus? And you might be surprised that a little light goes on. What John Huntress didn't tell you was that when he heard that love song, he thought of Jesus, and that's why he sang it. You can use all the Jesus imageries that you wish to use. If you cannot do it, if your ego is so strong in that way, then of course don't force yourself to do it. But many of you could use the word Jesus and use Jesus imagery and it would bless you so much. You could have Jesus sitting beside you on the car, in the car as you drive to work. I've told you about uh, picturing Jesus behind the person that you are talking to. You have a very difficult time relating to this person. You don't know how to be kind to them or generous to them. And so you see Jesus standing behind them, opening his arms to you and thanking you for your efforts. And so you do it for that reason. I've told you about handing things over to Jesus, just handing them to Jesus, the problems, and say, you take care of this. Is there something I need to do about this? Let me know when the time comes. There are thousands, millions, billions of ways that you can turn to Jesus. The Course has a beautiful one in which it says, it has this imagery, perhaps you remember it, in which you picture yourself as a, as a brilliant circle of light. And you're moving towards it. There's actually more than one lesson that deals with this imagery. There's one where it's introduced and there's one where it's referred to indirectly and so forth. And now you move. You're moving toward yourself in this imagery and you feel the dark clouds brushing against your cheeks. You haven't seen any light yet. But you're moving towards it because you think it's there. You've, you have faith it's there. You've been told it's there. What difference does it make why you're moving towards it? Because you're insane. Because you, intend, you attended one too many meetings at the dispensable church. Okay. Now, in one place, the Course says, if it would help you to picture taking my hand and letting me carry you there, then that's fine for you to do that. And it will not be an illusion. It is more real than the world. 
These imageries are more real than the pew you're sitting on because they contain more truth. At least for most people, if you can use those words. What else do you need? Number five. See, there's a sense of accomplishment with these numbers. Do you see this? You're learning something. There's already number five. Now, maybe you're worrying that you didn't bring your notebook, you see. This kind of thing. But you say, ah, oh, no, I'll buy the tape later. It'll all be all right. You see. <laughs> number five. Because you need to remember that you need a plane and a self and so forth. You see. Now, so what else do you need? Do you need fuel? This is actually, I think, on, on here, isn't it? Oh, gas valve set. What is your fuel? You're going to check this out. Do you have your fuel? Do you, if you got yourself, if you got your plane, if you got your runway, if you got your fuel, what's your fuel? Peace. Peace is your fuel. Of course, the miracle says that it is the single greatest motivator there is. As you make peace your goal, you must begin to experience peace in your life. And as you begin to experience the peace of God, you will never again lack for motivation. You need the experience of peace. Go ahead and have it. Make it your value. What do you value at dinner? What do you value when you get up in the morning? What do you value when you shop for groceries? What do you value at the office? What do you value as you're leaving the office for the day? What is your value? Is it peace? Then of course you can have peace. You can't roller skate in a buffalo herd, but you can be happy if you've a mind to. You can be peaceful if you've a mind to. Do you have a mind to? That's the only question. Fill up with peace. In Tejas, we have a uh, saying uh, that a horse is feeling its oats. And it's really true if you've ever seen a horse eat oats. They really do feel that they do bounce all around they become about five years younger if you just give them straight oats it's not usually a good idea to do that but <laughs> in Santa Fe we have another expression full of beans <laughs> it doesn't matter as long as you remember that it's peaceful beans peaceful oats fill it up any way you wish to I know uh a girl who went into remission by sprinkling, sprinkling imaginary white cells on her cereal and eating them. What difference does it make that it looked like sugar? <laughs> you see? <laughs> oh, I can't do that. <laughs> or salt, salt. Time magazine's already come out. We know now about salt because Time magazine had it on its cover. Okay. What else do you need? Number six. You need a flight plan. You need a program. This is really carny, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't realize how carny this analogy was. <laughs> but we'll go right ahead through with it. <laughs> you see, what happens is, um, what happens is that uh, there isn't much to say about a spiritual path. <laughs> And so I simply try to find new ways to say it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a hit and miss proposition. 
But whether you want to call it a flight plan or not, you do need a spiritual program. And that can be A Course in Miracles, which is an excellent one. And I was really quite shocked when only, what, six people, however it was, raised their hands last Sunday that only that many people had done the 365 lessons. Those lessons take something like a minute or two, except for a few in the middle of the course, which get longer. They, they, take you as, they take you about the length of time it takes you to brush your teeth, if you don't floss. <laughs> and yet, how many times have I heard people say, well, I don't have enough time to do that. You don't have enough time. You don't have a minute or two, which is all those first lessons take, you see. Now, don't feel guilty about it. If you don't want to do the course, don't do the course. But you don't have to be ready for the course. This is the mistake people make. They think they've got to get ready first. They've got to believe it first. They've got to see their way through first. This is a procrastinating device of the ego. As long as you're waiting to get ready, you will never do it. Ever. You must start when you are not ready, when you are not prepared, when you don't fully believe it, and you just go ahead and do it anyway. I had to do this. I do not pretend that it was not a struggle. It was indeed a struggle for me six years, seven years ago, whatever it was, when I once again started a spiritual path. Oh, God, once again, I'm on a spiritual path. <laughs> and I had been one of these sharp, sharp-tongued, agnostics, do you see? And um, I was very proud of this. And here I was, and uh, maybe this stuff is true. Uh, and I tell you, it was very embarrassing for me. And I had to get to the, I, I simply got to the point one day in which I said, what am I going to do? Am I going to keep questioning this and fighting this, or am I going to go ahead and do it? And I said to myself, I will go ahead and do it even if I am self-deceived. Now, I had to say that because I thought there was a 50-50 chance at least that I was self-deceived. And I said, so be it. Have I not seen the other way enough? Haven't I walked through this world the other way enough to see that it is bankrupt? So perhaps this is self-deceived and dishonest and crazy and everything else. But I will do it until the day I die, and I will not think about it again. And that was very difficult. I had to wrestle with that one for about three or four days, and I was in real pain over it, because it was so embarrassing for me to do the starting this thing all over again. But you will begin to have an experience. I cannot promise you when it will come. It is not the experience that's so often described with all these psychic phenomena and all that stuff, although you may have the psychic phenomena. But I'm talking about the hush of heaven, the stillness of God. And when you have felt the presence of God enough times, when it has come into your mind enough times, all the arguments against spiritual truth will seem merely silly and you will never again feel the need to talk anybody into anything. There isn't anything to talk anybody into. It's just the plain, simple truth. And if someone wishes to hear some of it from you, then you give it to them. If they don't, you keep your mouth shut and you walk toward God. Because there isn't any cause to this. 
It is simply a fact that love makes you happier than hate. That peace makes you happier than conflict. There's nothing more to it than that. So if you can't use the Course in Miracles, write out your own spiritual program. You must have a way of doing it. Don't be afraid to be specific. What are you going to do when you get up in the morning? What are you going to do if you have a bad time during the day? What are you going to do before you go to bed at night? What are you going to do in all these situations? Identify the situations and then write out your spiritual program. It will save you years and years and years and years and years rather than being vague and spontaneous. <laughs> All right. What else do you need? You need to be, <laughs> need to be pointed in the right direction. <laughs> All right. That's not down here, Rob. <laughs> okay. Well, of course, when you're flying a plane, you've got to... Did anybody see the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special last night? <laughs> Oh, that's right. You don't watch television, do you? All right. <laughs> but I've got a four-year-old boy, do you see? And so he made me sit down and watch, watch Rudolph. Now, there was a flight instructor. You see, the, the reindeer had to be taught. The young up-and-coming reindeer had to be taught how to fly. So what the flight instructor said is what you do is you run very, as fast as you can, into the wind. You see. But... In a spiritual, on a spiritual path, you don't have to do that. You can go any direction, provided you see it's the direction that you wish to go, and you simply proceed. So the right direction is simply the direction of peace, but the actual mechanics, you can decide for yourself. What actually happened to Rudolph was uh, that his girlfriend told him he was cute, and he just flew automatically, just off like that. So your direction is your purpose, and if your purpose is clear, this is a fact. If your purpose is clear, you will not be afraid of what's coming up. Are you afraid of something that's coming up? Then clarify your purpose, and the fear will leave you. I do get frightened about speaking. I get frightened about speaking to this congregation, which is a very, very gentle congregation. I do get scared about it. It's because I have a conflicted purpose. When my purpose is clear, the fear leads, leaves me. Now, as I told you, we applied to IRS, and uh, we got some good news. Because this has only been, application has only been in just a matter of 10 days or something like that. Although it took us that long to find someone who would prepare it uh, properly. And the woman called our accountant who is an Episcopalian. We are Dispensapalians and he is an Episcopalian. There's no relationship. He made this clear to the lady at IRS. I'm an Episcopalian. I want you to know I have nothing to do with the dispensable church. I'm their accountant. You can talk to me. So, we answered all their questions. They had a long list of questions. And uh, the lady called the accountant back, knowing that she could confide. She said, well, she said, they're strange, but they seem sincere. 
<laughs> it was our purpose that sold. She felt our purpose in the answering of the questions. But how we went about it was strange. And she said, I'm going to recommend this to my superior. My accountant says that this is almost automatic. When it's recommended, then you get it. We haven't got it yet. Incidentally, as I told you before, all gifts that you have made for the last two years are tax deductible. It's retroactive when you get a tax number. If you were set up as a nonprofit organization as we were, it's retroactive. So please don't, don't even get scared because we haven't had a tax number up till now. Um, but when she got through with all this, she said, but I want to ask you a question. Is there something about the altitude in Santa Fe that does this to people? <laughs> she, actually, she actually asked him. Asked him, asked him. Right. Number eight. You start the engine. Start the engine. You begin. You begin over and over and over again. It is necessary to begin again and again and again, to start over. The ego doesn't want you to start over. It wants you to, it wants you to spend time telling yourself what a mistake you made and when are you going to stop making this kind of mistake and beating up on yourself and feeling guilty. But you begin again. That's what you do. You start over. How many times in a day must I start over? I don't know. A hundred, two hundred, three hundred times? You must be willing to start over. You made a mistake. You simply begin again. And you must begin the whole thing right from the beginning. That's what you must do. You must be willing to begin. Number nine, you release the brake. I think I've told you the story. I was with... Uh, a famous person in uh, sort of his home territory. He was very, very well known. And I was in a uh, auditorium of people who loved this particular person very much. And I was uh, with him on the program. And after the program, um, well, first of all, the uh, speaker welcomed uh, this man back and said how much they all loved him and uh, want everybody to be sure and come up and give him a big, warm welcome and hug and so forth. And we'd already finished our program. We'd already done our speaking. And then he said, oh, yes, and, uh, and also Hugh Pray. And uh, so there I was. I'd been. I had to stand beside him because that's what the uh, speak the MC had wanted me to do. And as these people came up, and they uh, would hug this person, and then they felt this guilt. I could see the guilt. They looked over and they saw the other person there. <laughs> oh, then they gave me a perfunctory hug. You know, which you're, they're talking to someone else over your shoulder. That kind of thing. And I was, it was a terribly embarrassing, painful situation. It didn't have to be. It isn't necessarily that way. But my ego was such that this was a very difficult situation. And I turned to God with all my heart and I said, what can I do? Help, 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 help. <laughs> and a little mantra came into my mind. 
Now start saying it. I've given it to you before. All released, all is peace. All released, all is peace. I use that a lot. You can say let go and let God, but you must let go. It is not understood in the world that you cannot love your spouse until you let go of your spouse. You cannot love your parents. You cannot love your children. You cannot love yourself until you let go of your worldly identity. You cannot love anything in this world until you let go of the emotional ties. I heard a wonderful imagery this last week. I never heard it before. You picture yourself with the person that you have these emotional ties with, the ones that drag you down a little bit, the ones that cause you pain. And you picture them as golden threads. And you picture as many golden threads linking you and this other person as you need to feel this what you really know in your heart is an unhealthy bond. My best friend, and I must keep this person my best friend. I must keep everybody away because they may become this person's best friend and that unhealthy kind of thing. Anything like that. And in your mind, you take a pair of golden scissors and you start clipping the golden threads one by one. And you clip as many as you can. If you can only clip one or two the first time you do it, then that's all you do. And the next time you come back and you, you clip a few more. And if a few have grown back in the meantime, you see if you can clip those again. And you keep this up until there is no more ties. There are no more emotional ties. And that's when the love of God will pour into your heart and you will see that you are this person. It's because you think this person is someone else and you need them that you feel the tie. But when you realize that this is Christ, this is your identity, this is the child of God, this is the light of heaven, this is you, then there are no ties. There's no specialness. And then the last thing, number 10, is you fly. Now, too, he thinks he's so smart. He gets everybody to sing in all these parts and everything. How many rows do we have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten rows. All right, ten rows. Tui, watch this now. Now, <laughs> you fly. Actually, you glide. You glide. That's what you do home. It's an effortless flying. It's a gliding. Glide, glide, glide your mind gently down the breeze. Merrily, 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 merrily. Nope, the world is but a sneeze. <laughs> All right. Glide, glide, glide your mind gently down the breeze. Merrily, 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 merrily. The world is but a sneeze. All right. Do you know when to come in on this? You're, you're not going to believe this. Let's see. How many rows does it say there were? Ten. We're going to have a round of 20. It'll be quick. Only one time. All right. You're number one. You're number two. You're number three. You're number four. You're number five. And so forth until we get to 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 
bro. No, so you <laughs> glide, 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 glide your mind gently down the breeze. Then you come, and then the next part comes in. We'll do this real fast, and then Tui will come. He'll come up. Yes. There are 12 pews? 20, uh, so 12, 13. You're 13, 14, 15, 16. All right, so everybody got the, let's say the words together first of all. Glide, glide, glide your mind gently down the breeze. Merrily, 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 the world is but a sneeze. All right, so you're number one. Is Al number one ready? Everybody in Al number one, raise your hand. <laughs> All right. Glide, glide, glide your mind gently down the glide, glide, glide your mind gently down the please. Number three. Glide, glide, glide your mind gently. Number four. Glide, glide, glide your mind gently down. Number five. Number six. Glide, glide. Number six. <laughs> Number seven. Number eight. Number nine. Number ten. I don't see where twelve is. All right, point made. <laughs> all together, we'll do it all together now. Glide, glide, glide your mind gently down the breeze. Merrily, 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 merrily. Very good. Okay.